We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together. First Kings chapter 13. We could read again verses 30 and 31. First Kings chapter 13 at verse 30. And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass after he had buried him that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel. Now, in this chapter, we have two very different individuals. One of them starts off really well, does tremendously well. And then backslides and is killed by a lion. Second one starts off in a backslidden condition but is restored. Backsliding is common. It's very easy to backslide, very easy to, to grow a little bit cold, a little bit lifeless, a little bit careless, a little bit compromising, giving place to the world a bit more, a bit more, a bit more, and falling. From grace. It's very easy too to do something really bad and to bring upon ourselves God's judgment and condemnation. It's not enough to start off well. We have to keep on going. Remember, backsliding can be catastrophic. It can lead to serious chastisement. But whatever our situation tonight, maybe you're backslidden, maybe you've done something awful, but there's always a merciful God, a God who's calling to us and saying, come to me. There's always the opportunity to return. Look unto me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth. That's what he says to us. Come unto me. Come with your concerns, with your burdens, with your fears. Come with your sins and confess them. Don't be like Judas who went away and hanged himself. But be like Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly and came back to the Lord. First of all, then, tonight, I want us to see the man of God's faithfulness. We're told here that there was a man of God from Judah. Now, some people think he couldn't possibly have been a good man. Surely not, because, because of the way he failed, because of him being killed by a lion. Surely God would never do that to one of his own children, one of his beloved people, one of those for whom Christ died, surely would not allow them to be killed by a lion. 
and to die under his judgment. But what we have to remember is that the Bible tells us what sort of person he was. The Bible doesn't say he pretended to be a man of God. The Bible says he was a man of God from Judah. So we have to go with what the Bible says. The Bible tells us he was a man of God, and God sent him on a very difficult mission. Now, King Jeroboam was a very clever man. When he was a young man, he was ambitious. He had the gift of leadership. He was intelligent. And King Solomon noticed him. Here's somebody fit for a position of influence. And so King Solomon promoted him. But then you remember how Solomon, Solomon himself, who was such a backslider, Solomon began as a wonderful, godly man. And God gave him a special name. God called him Jedidiah. That means beloved of the Lord. God loved Solomon. Beloved of the Lord. But you remember how Solomon got involved with heathen women, how he married some heathen wives, and how these women led him into idolatry. And because of this, because of his idolatry, God brought judgment upon the house of David. And so when Solomon died, only two of the tribes remained with David, Judah and Benjamin. And the other ten tribes separated. And just as Ahijah the prophet had said to Jeroboam, these ten tribes were given to him by God. So he became, he had fled to Egypt in the latter days of King Solomon because King Solomon could see that God had a plan to put him onto the throne and King Solomon tried to kill him. A bit like Saul at an earlier date, wasn't it? When he tried to kill David. But Jeroboam was in Egypt and then when Solomon died, he came back and he became king. God had appointed him king over the ten tribes. And you would have thought, well, he'll just trust God. Trust God to look after him. Trust God who gave him the kingdom. But he couldn't trust God. He trusted himself. And he said to himself, well, if the people in Israel keep on going up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple as God required, after a while they'll get fed up of me and they'll return to the house of David. So he said, I'll change the worship. And that's what he did. He made a simpler worship. And he placed his shrine, one in Bethel, and one in Dan, at the two extremities of his kingdom, he made a golden calf. A golden calf. The nations around them had idols. It's easier, surely, if we, we have something we can see. And so he made this, he changed the worship of God, made it a little bit simpler, as it were, made it more attractive to the flesh, this golden calf. And, then he had his altars there, and he said, you don't have to go up the long journey to Jerusalem. Just go to Bethel or go to Dan. You can worship there. We don't need Levites as priests. We can 
Have other people this week? We'll worship Jehovah. Oh, yes, we'll still worship Jehovah, but we'll do it in our own way, a little bit different. But God hates different worship. God demands that we do everything as he requires. The regulative principle of worship. See that thou do all things according to the pattern given to thee on the mount. That's what was said to Moses. And that's what's said to us today. I've given you a pattern in the Bible. Follow it. There were to be no idols. That was condemned in the second commandment. God was to be worshipped as he himself laid out. But Jeroboam changed the worship of God. And so he himself would offer incense at his idol shrine there in Bethel. So the man of God came, commanded by God to curse the altar and to speak out against the wicked worship that was going on there, the way they had departed from the true God. The man of God comes and he cries out against the altar and he prophesies that there will be a king, a son of David, Josiah by name, and that he will dig up the bones of the prophets of the golden calf and desecrate the altar by burning upon that altar the bones of the priests who offered sacrifices on them. And he intimates that there will be a sign, too, to show that what he has said will come true. The altar will split, it will be rent, and the ashes poured out. Now, it must have been, must have required a lot of boldness to do that. Tremendous boldness. I remember many years ago uh, going to on a mission trip to Delhi in India, and uh, round the corner from the place we were staying, there was a temple, a huge heathen temple. And uh, the fellow who was with me took me to visit this temple. And there they were, worshipping their idols. And there was all this singing and all this performance going on. I could sense the evil, and I hated the place. He was wanting to stay around and take pictures. I just wanted to get away from there. It was horrible. Just imagine going down to the front there in front of all these crowds of people and shouting against the altar and condemning it. And there was the king standing there offering incense, the king who was a tyrant. How dangerous. His life would be in great danger. And yet this man of God, he had a command from the Lord and he went and he kept the commandment of the Lord. He went there in front of everybody, in front of the king. He shouted out his words of curse upon the altar and upon the worship that was going on there. And the king, of course, stood pointed with his hand and said, lay hold of him, arrest him. He was going to punish this man, no doubt put him to death. But 
Then he tried to pull his hand in, and he couldn't pull his hand in. It was stuck there. God's judgment came upon him, and he couldn't pull his hand in. It was stuck. And I thought, am I going to be going around for the rest of my life like this with my hands stuck out in front of me? So he was humbled, and he pleaded with the man of God, and he said, please, please pray for me. Beseech the Lord to heal my hand. And man of God, kindly, forgivingly prayed for him. And so he was able to take his hand back in again. God's judgment coming upon him. God's wrath coming upon him. And of course, at the same time, the altar split down the middle and its ashes were poured out. The sign was there. The king is shocked and humbled by what has happened. God has spoken very directly to him. And then he turns to the man of God and he pleads with him, come home, come home with me and you can refresh yourself and you can have a lovely meal and the best food in my, in my palace and the best drink in my palace too, and I'll give you a reward. Now that must have been very tempting because the man of God had just come a long, long way from Judah, a long journey, and he had neither eaten nor drunk, and he was hungry and thirsty, and the thought of a reward, you all like a prize, don't you? Some great gift that he was given, going to be given, but you notice how the man of God was so faithful, he said, no, no way. God said to me, go, do what I'm telling you to do, don't eat, don't drink, and don't return the same way as you went. And so I'm going to obey God. Even if you would give me half your house, even if you would give me all your riches and your wealth and your... I won't do it. I must not do it because God told me and I'm going to obey. And so off went the man of God. How wonderful. Self-denial, self-sacrifice, obedient, fearless. Hungry and thirsty and tired. What a great example he is to us of obedience, faithfulness. What an example to you and me of fearlessness. Are you ashamed to stand for Christ, to witness on his side other places where you won't stand up for Christ. Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. We are ashamed of him in this world. Christ will be ashamed of us on the day of judgment. So a man of God, faithful to the Lord. But then the second thing we notice here is the old prophet's lies. <laughs> now, this old prophet, he wasn't a prophet of Baal. He wasn't a prophet of the golden calves. He's just called a prophet. And when somebody is called a prophet in the Bible, they're a real prophet. So he was a real prophet. But obviously a backslidden prophet. He had got into a rut. He had become dull in his religion. He had become worldly. Very likely he had 
stopped going up to Jerusalem to worship. And you know, if we stop attending church, it's very easy to drift, to become worldly. If we're not looking after our own souls, if we're not reading our Bible and praying and cultivating our religion, <coughs> then the devil has plenty of opportunities with us. And there he was living in that heathen place, Bethel, and heathen people around him. And it would seem that he had become quite backslidden. And his sons, his sons were obviously idolatrous worshippers. His sons went up to worship with Jeroboam, and they were present there taking part in the false worship of the golden calf. He had failed to teach his sons the ways of God. If he was backslidden, how easy it was for his sons not to appreciate the religion of his father, of their father. But his sons come home that day and they say, you know what happened? There was a man of God came from Judah and he prophesied against the altar and the altar split. And, you know, the king tried to arrest him and the king's arm was stuck out and he couldn't draw it back in. And the king pleaded with the prophet and the prophet, he was a mighty man of prayer and he prayed for the king and the king's arm was restored again. It was amazing to be there. We were there, we saw it, the worship was going on and then this man interrupted everything and everything stopped. The whole thing ended and the man of God, the king offered him a reward, but he wouldn't have it. And the king said, come home with me. Yes, you can come home with me and eat and drink and I'll give you a reward. But he refused and he set off back home to Judah. And when the sons of the old prophet told him this, something seemed to happen. The heart of the old prophet was stirred and he was awakened and he thought, no, that's a man of God. There's somebody that I'd like to get to know a bit better. Somebody that I'd like to be with. I'll have to go and meet him. I'll have to go and bring him home. And he starts thinking of the good old days and the days when he used to go up to worship God at the temple in Jerusalem. And the old days when he was there, I joyed when to the house of God. Go up, they said to me. And his heart was stirred and awakened and he longs for some fellowship. With this man of God, he had no fellowship. His sons were idolaters. And he longs for fellowship with a man of God. And so he, he, he wants to try and bring this man home. And no doubt, along with some good thoughts, there was Satan. Because Satan's a great enemy. And when something good goes on, Satan's not far away. When there was that great dramatic stand against idolatrous worship, Satan focused his attention on the man of God. The more prominent you are in serving the Lord, the more sure you can be that Satan will attack you. So Satan, no doubt, was stirring up this old prophet as well. 
So he says to his sons, saddle me the donkey and got onto the donkey. Which way did the man of God go? And the sons pointed out the direction. So he sets off full speed after the man of God and finds him taking a rest, seated under an oak tree. And he asks him to come home with him. And he says, no way. God said to me, don't eat, don't drink, and don't return the same way as you came. But then the old prophet says, well, but you know what? I'm a prophet too. And an angel spoke to me. I'm a real prophet. An angel spoke to me and said, go and tell him to come home with you. And to eat and drink with you. Bring him home with you. And he lied to him. He lied to him. He deceived him. He maybe thought to himself, well, it's no big deal. It's just a little lie. A little white lie. What's wrong with a little white lie? Surely not much. Is that what God thinks? God hates lies. And I sense there's no such thing as a little lie. Do you ever tell lies? Even little ones to get you out of an embarrassing situation. Remember what's said in Revelation 22. All liars shall have their part in the fire, in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. Lying. God detests it because God is truth. And God is the God who cannot lie. There's not many things that God can't do, is there? But there's one thing he certainly can't do, can't tell a lie. Can't do anything against his own nature. That's the sort of God he is. So the old prophet tells a lie and brings the man of God home to his house. The old prophet's lies. Then, thirdly, divine judgment. God is holy. And that's one of the great messages of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and particularly the message of this chapter, God is holy. He hates sin and can in no wise pardon the guilty. Sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death. God is truth. God never contradicts himself. He is the God who cannot lie or cannot and cannot repent of what he does. When he says something in his Bible or when he says something by his spirit and heart, that is truth, as he did to this man. He never contradicts himself. So if there's something said to you in the scriptures. Remember, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness, 
that the man of God might be truly furnished unto all good works. Scripture is God-breathed. With the Bible, you've got the truth. There's no error in it. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's completely trustworthy. Trust the Bible. Build your life upon it, and you'll never go wrong. This man of God from Judah should have trusted the word that he received from the Lord, not the lies of the prophet. No matter what people say, though an angel from heaven would tell you a lie, you're not to believe it. No matter who tells you something, if it's not in the Bible, it's not truth. It's not to be followed. So God is holy. And the only sure foundation, therefore, for us is God and his word. So the man of God from Judah and the old prophet return to the house and a nice meal is prepared and they sit down and it's all very nice and he's hungry and he's tired and he's refreshing himself and he's enjoying the food and enjoying the drink and enjoying the conversation together and they're talking about God and the things of God and they're talking about how wrong they King Jeroboam's worship is and what King Josiah is going to do in the future. And they're talking about lots of good things and enjoying the fellowship when suddenly God breaks in. God breaks in and he doesn't speak to the man of God from Judah, but he speaks through the old prophet. And he says, because you have disobeyed the word of God, you will not return to your own home, nor be buried with your fathers, but you will die without getting home. So that put a huge damper on the meal, didn't it? And then we're told that the man got up, and saddled his ass and set off home. But he hadn't gone very far when he met a lion, not a friendly lion. The lion leapt on him and killed him. But very strangely, the lion didn't eat him. Just left him there, but stood beside the corpse. And strangely too, the lion didn't attack the ass. And the ass didn't run away. So the ass stood there too. The ass and the lion and the dead body. Very strange. And people came past that place and they saw this. And they reported it in the town. And the old prophet knew immediately what had happened. And so he got his own donkey out and off he went. <clears throat> he came to the place and he wasn't frightened of the lion picked up the man's body, put it on his ass, and took it back home. He could see that it was all of God, God's work. God had done it. God had been in the lion, and God had been in the ass, and God had been judging and punishing. He took it home, took the body home, and he mourned over him. 
And then he buried him in his own sepulchre. Seems very harsh, doesn't it? How hard of God. Was that right of God? Surely it was right of God. Surely God never does anything wrong. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Ah, but, but, but maybe it is just the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a bit different from the New Testament God because surely the New Testament God is, is love. God is love. But we have an example of the same sort of thing in the New Testament too. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're told there about people and they were at the Lord's table. And they didn't conduct themselves properly at the Lord's table. Christians. You remember what happened? Some of them were sick because of what happened. And some of them died. They slept. That was God's judgment. Judgment upon his own people. Because of divisiveness, because of eating and drinking without discerning the Lord's body, not showing love at the Lord's table, God's judgment came upon them. And there in the New Testament, we have Christians chastened to death. Chastened to death. So that's a warning for us, surely. And then we're told that the man of God from Judah was buried there at Bethel. Well, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from it? Well, we can surely learn this, that it's not enough to start off well. It's good to start off well, but you've got to keep going. It is those that persevere unto the end that shall be saved. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne in heaven. So that's vital for us, that we overcome, that we persevere, that we keep on serving. It's not enough to be converted and think I'm converted, so it doesn't matter too much now. No, you're born again. So show that you're born again and live like a born again, spirit-filled Christian. Go on living for God. Don't just start off well, but keep on going. Another point to learn is the danger of backsliding. How easy it is even for a great man of God following a wonderful stand for the Lord to fall. Remember Peter, how he made a great confession. Thou art the son of the living God. And a few minutes after that, he's telling Jesus, you won't go and die on the cross. I'll ensure that. Jesus had to say to him, get thee behind me, Satan. So even after making a great stand for God, how quickly we can fall. We can be like the old prophet gradually backsliding or like the man of God from Judah suddenly backsliding 
Beware of backsliding. Trust the word of the Lord. When God gives you his word, you have it in the scriptures, hold to it. Another point is that Christians can lead you astray. Yes, the Lord's people can lead you astray. So test the spirits, whether they are of God. Don't be led astray by Christians, even if they seem to be great Christians. Beware of that. Another lesson, Christians are chastised for their sins. When you sin, when you backslide, you can suffer for it. And God in his love chastens us. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If, we, if you are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're illegitimate children. God loves his children and God disciplines them. He corrects them. And all of us need to be constantly repenting because we all sin in different ways. But then there's some hope here as well. It's a lovely thought to think of these two men buried together. One that caused the death of the other, but they're buried together. And one day soon, they're going to rise together. The man of God from Judah and the old prophet from Bethel. To think of them arm in arm going into heaven. What a lovely picture that is. We have a wonderful God, a wonderful Savior. And even although we suffer terrible chastisement, even although we lose our life in chastisement, yet, if we are the Lord's people, if we've been born again, if we put our faith and hope in Christ, one day we will be with Christ in heaven. All of us have room to repent, but there's always things that we can repent of. But wonderfully, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It is God that justifieth, who is he that condemneth. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, and we shall rise with him. It's great to be a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, it's time you were. Because if God treats Christians like this, with serious judgment, what will happen to you if you're not a Christian? And if judgment begin at the house of God, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? What will happen to you? So it's vitally important to make your peace with God. Let's pray.